doing a bit of a tag team message and looking through only a couple of verses, but um, ones that we think are really important um, and like super impactful. So um, yeah, we've just been praying a lot that God will be speaking through us and just trying to do our best with that. Um, so what we're exploring tonight is our identity and yeah, our identity and our purpose as Christians. Yeah, and I think we can all kind of say that in this day and age, the idea or concept of identity has become quite complex. Um, you know, we see all these boxes we now need to tick when we uh, ask these questions in universities or workplaces. How do you identify? The phrase identity crisis is used often um, as people kind of struggle to understand who they are now. And that's really because the identity can be the sum of many parts. We know that it can be nationality or race or beliefs or morals but this is where our identity and our purpose become linked because no matter how many things you feel make up your identity some things will always be more important or have more prominence than others and that will shape what you think your purpose is and therefore how you act in life um, so if you'd like to open up your bible or it will be on the screen the passage that we're reading from is first peter chapter 2 verses 9 to 10 so it's just two verses and yeah like Jess said we think they're really powerful for believers in reminding us who we are in Christ. And just quickly before we read, I'll just give a brief overview. First Peter was a letter written by Peter, one of the original disciples, and it was sent out to churches in the Roman Empire, which would now be considered modern-day Turkey. And these Christians, these early believers, were facing persecution for their faith, um, dealing with harassment, hostility, more than we can imagine, or that we've ever experienced, I would assume. And what he was trying to do was offer an encouraging message really in the midst of their suffering. And as we will read, he wants to remind them of their identity and their new hope as followers of Christ. So as the Bible says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. These verses are clearly saying who we are as Christians. A chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And it also says what our purpose is, to declare the praises of him. But we're going to break that down a bit further. Yeah, so if anyone's been here the last few weeks, we've been going through Ephesians, um, talking about, um, yeah, what it's... Um, Dave Luthi was talking about in the first week what it's like to be a chosen people. Um, yeah, so we're going to be going into that. Um, we see the idea of being chosen by God isn't agreed on by everyone. Um, we're not going to go into that tonight, but um, if you want to have a look, it's up on the website. Uh, you can have a look at that. But um, Dave raised a great question of do we choose God or does God choose us? And we think it's both. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so we've been chosen by God, he's adopted us, but we also have to make the choice to follow him. He doesn't force us. When I think of the word chosen, I go back to my school days, playing footy on the oval. How good was it when you were picked first to be a part of the team? Anyone here who's married, you chose your husband or your wife, you chose, yeah, you chose each other. Um, wherever you work, you were chosen by your employer. How good does it feel to be chosen? You feel wanted, right? Um, 
if you're a believer, um, yeah, you chose God and now you're a part of his family. We're God's chosen people. What an incredible truth that is. Peter's, Peter's saying that this is the truth we need to cling to, that no matter what challenges us, we have been chosen by the one who reigns over all things, the King of Kings. God loves us and wants us. But in this letter, Peter goes further and he also tells us that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation and God's special possession. Tonight we're going to have Jazz open us up with a royal priesthood. Yeah, so um, priesthood is something that I guess we don't really talk about much at church. So I'm actually super stoked um, because I can also geek out a little bit when there's like the Old Testament stuff and how it all links into now. So I was pretty stoked to have this um, little section. Um, Romans 16.4 says that we are no longer under law but under grace. So... What is the significance of Peter calling these new followers, who aren't even Jewish, they're Gentiles, who are being persecuted? Like, what is the point of him calling them a priesthood? Like, you know, Jesus has come. There's no longer a need to be dressed in robes and go through ceremonial washings and serve things in the temple and whatever the priest did. So what is the significance of him calling them a royal priesthood if Jesus has come and fulfilled that? And that's in the past. That's not even their culture because they were Gentiles. Um, so, but the cool thing is that everything that happens in the Old Testament is a foreshadowing for what Jesus was going to fulfill. So much of the Old Testament and the ways that like, God set things up, even to all those tiny little laws, um, the purpose of that was a foreshadowing of what was to come and the fulfillment of it. So God is holy and the people of Israel were unholy because of their sin. Therefore, they needed a place where they could access forgiveness and purification uh, so they could be made right with God. And that was through sacrifices made at the temple. Now, the Old Testament, um, in the Old Testament, God commanded Moses to build the temple. And we see the purpose of this in Exodus 25 verse 8, where it says, Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell with them. So God wanted to dwell with his people. But he is holy, and sinfulness cannot exist in the presence of holiness. If there is any, any little tiny smidge of sin or unholiness, like, that would just cease to exist in the presence of God's perfection and his holiness. Like, it would be dangerous for a sinner to enter the presence of a holy God with that sin still on them. Um, so because he is perfect, there was this separation that was caused um, when the fall happened. So, but God didn't want to leave his people. He wanted to dwell with them. So he dwelt with them in a place called the Holy of Holies. And on the screen you will see um, there is a diagram of what the ancient temple looked like. Um, so the temple is made up of many parts, but the three that I'm just going to focus on is you've got the uh, outer court. So that's on this side here. Uh, it's got upper or inner court. Then you've got the holy place, and then you have the Holy of Holies. So the outer court is a place that any of the Israelites could go. Um, I love Psalm 100 where it says, enter his courts with thanksgiving, enter his gates with praise. And it's just this place where the Israelites could come and worship. They could come and see the priest to offer sacrifices if they had sinned. After that, you've got the holy place. That was a bit more sacred. Only priests could go into the holy place. So if you're just a common Israelite, you weren't allowed in there. Um, the holy place uh, is yet yeah, where the priests would go and the priests would have to first go through some rituals themselves to get themselves right with God. They'd have to repent and 
um, yeah, have some ceremonial washings to cleanse themselves. They were then able to go into the holy place and make a sacrifice on behalf of any of the Israelites. So they were kind of this in-between person. The role of a priest was to stand in the gap of a holy God and unholy humans. That is the core role of a priest, standing in the gap between. They were a mediator um, between these two things. After the holy place, you have the holy of holies. So out of all the priests, there was a very special one called the high priest, and there was only ever one high priest at any given time. And they would enter the holy of holies once a year to give an atoning sacrifice for all of Israel. Now, this was a really um, significant thing that happened. There was lots of special things that they had to follow, what they wore, what they ate, um, and all these different things for the high priest to prepare themselves. And the way that the Holy of Holies was separated from the rest of the temple was with this massive curtain that was four inches thick and just took 300 priests to hang up when they were building the temple. Like, it's this really, really big curtain because that was the dwelling place of God's presence. Um, so only the high priest could go in there once a year. Hebrews 9, 11 to 12 uh, makes a connection of Jesus being our high priest. So it says, but when, oh wait, it's up there. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. Sorry, it's hard to see with these lights. I'm going to turn around here. <laughs> he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of blood of goats and calves, but he entered by the most holy place once and for all, ably by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. So we can see here in Hebrews that it wasn't just a sacrifice that Jesus came uh, into this holy place. He sacrificed himself, so he didn't just fulfill the law, but he surpassed it and fulfilled it um, with him being the perfect sacrifice. So Jesus is our high priest, but what does that mean for us being his priesthood. Well, in Israel, under the law, there was one tribe, the Levites, that were given the task of serving as priests and performing, performing those duties as mediators between God and the Israelites. And very few held that honor and responsibility. But through Christ the King, all believers are now priests with direct access to our Father. We no longer need a mediator. And we're not just priests, but in 1 Peter, the verse we're looking at, it says that we are royal priesthood, and royalty is to do with bloodline. We're part of the family of God, like we're his children, and we're not just a priesthood, we're also related. Um, our, you know, he's our king, like we are royalty because we're related to our king now. He's adopted us as sons, as daughters. Um, so yeah, he's a holy God, and just as a priest stood in the gap of a perfect God in Israel, um, we now get to stand in the gap of the sinfulness that we see in our world and broken people and our holy God. A little further along um, in 1 Peter, verse 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So our hearts have been transformed um, and healed from the inside out. And when Jesus died on the cross, that veil was torn in two. And this is probably one of my favorite penny drop moments of my adulthood, is realizing that the Holy of Holies, where God's presence dwelt for thousands of years in the Old Testament, and when Jesus died, that curtain was torn. And now we are his dwelling place. 
Like we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. So now we are the temple and we are God's dwelling place and we no longer need a physical temple or to go to a priest to be the in-between person because Jesus is our high priest and we have direct access through him, um, yeah, through the work of Jesus on the cross. We are now the priests. We don't need to go to one. We have that access. I just thought that was really cool. So good. As Jazz has already said, we are now the royal priests. There was a foreshadowing in the Old Testament. And in the same way, when Peter states that we are a holy nation, he is again referencing what was foreshadowed in the Old Testament that became fulfilled with the coming of Jesus. In Exodus 19, verses 5 to 6, God tells Moses, after he'd led the Israelites out of Egypt, that if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. When we think of the word nation, we usually think of a country or land with defined borders. And what makes a nation is usually people that share similar values or of similar descent. We've already stated that nationality is a way in which we can define ourselves or identify ourselves as. We know that in the Old Testament, as we read in Exodus, the holy nation that God was speaking of was Israel. It was a defined place where God gave his chosen people, the Israelites, the descendants of Abraham, his covenant, his rules and laws to follow. He set them apart from all others. So why does Peter use this reference? Why is this true? He is telling these early Christians in this letter who were not Jewish but Gentiles, who had not previously been subject to Jewish laws, that they are now a part of the new exodus. They too have now been set apart as they have given their lives to God. That through the birth, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, all people are given direct access to God. And this is and always will be the good news. The holy nation that we belong to is not defined by borders or background no longer. If you accept Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, you are given a new identity as citizens of a holy nation belonging to a new family, a part of the body of Christ. You are now part of God's kingdom, joining together with all who believe. What we share in is our belief in God and our desire to honour him. And then there is that word holy placed in front of nation, which we need to discuss a little bit further. We are a holy nation. We are holy. That feels like an uncomfortable word to kind of place on ourselves. It's something that I struggle with. If someone asked me if I was holy, my initial reaction would be no. We know God to be holy. He is perfect and good and right. He's above all things. But I can't say that about myself and neither can you. We aren't perfect, we're not good, and we're not always right. However, the truth is that if you are a follower of God, you are holy. God has declared it so as the Holy Spirit now resides within you. Holy literally means to be consecrated, dedicated to God, set apart from all those who don't believe because we serve him above all else. Again, this needs to be integral to how we identify as Christians. No matter how much we sin or how many times we fall short, God still considers us holy. This is the gift of repentance. No matter how far we fall, if we seek forgiveness, he gives it as a loving father. We should find comfort in this truth. I know that I do, that even when you're in the trenches of life, when you're struggling, when you feel like you've gone too far, he still wants you to come to him. He wants you to draw near. He still sees you as his child, a part of his kingdom, holy. But there's more to that word as well. Holy can also be read as a call to action, a practical call on our lives, a purpose that we can act out. Jesus was our living example of a holy life. 
and the Bible also outlines it for us. Um, earlier in 1 Peter chapter 1, 14 to 15, we read, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. We know that we will fall short. God knows that. We live in an unholy world, but together we are citizens of a holy nation, God's people who should be striving for holiness in our lives, in how we live, how we act, how we speak. We should be a living example that we are not off this world. Our identity does not come from it. Instead, we belong to someone far greater, one who loves us, treasures us beyond measure. Good stuff. Did anyone else have something special when they were growing up? A toy or something? For me, it was my, uh, my Broncos jersey. I wore that thing everywhere. To the shops, dress up, free school days, um, even, yeah, and obviously when I went to see the Broncos play. It was special to me because it allowed me to represent who I loved, what I believed in, and yeah, it was my special possession. Just as we all have our, have our own special thing, God has us as his special possession. He created us, he crafted us, he knew everything there was to know about us before we were born. We are his special possession. Um, of course we're special to him. When I craft something of my own, it's special to me because I crafted it with my own hands. We're the same to God. He crafted us knowing not only what he would use us for today, tomorrow, next week, he, he knows forevermore. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. See, God has a special plan for each and every one of us because we are his special possession. He paid the price for us. As a holy nation, we identify as one, but as individuals, we're all special in our own ways. I understand it may not always be easy to feel special. If we go looking into the world for special validation, it doesn't bring us much fulfillment, does it? We're constantly reminded that we're just another number and just another system. There's truly nothing special about us if we subscribe to the ideas that society puts in our heads about what a successful and happy life is. So stop looking. Uh, yeah, you're looking in the wrong place. Nothing can make us feel as special as we think. Um, if, if we think, why am I as chosen people? I'm not worthy of that. Well, yes, you are. He calls us out of the darkness and into the holy light. Yeah, so stop looking because nothing will make you feel as special as we are to our almighty creator and saviour. We can look back to that verse in Jeremiah to see that if we seek to follow him and his will, he will help us to find happiness and success. He has plans to prosper you, to see you grow strong and healthy in his kingdom. Isn't that special? When I used to put on that Broncos jersey, I loved representing the Broncos. I loved how I felt when I could outwardly show who and what I believed in. It was special to me. I like to think that's what we should be doing every day. When we put on our armour of God, we're putting on and we're representing what we love, who we believe in and what we stand for. We are his special possession. This is where we should get our identity from. We were not a people, but now we are the people of God. 
we are called to take up our cross and give our lives to Jesus. But remember in doing this, we submit to him and being his and only his. I love that. Um, we are only his and we are, we are treasured, like we are his treasured possession. Um, so we've spoken about yeah, being a treasured possession, being a holy nation and a royal priesthood. Um, and, but like, what does that mean for us now? Like, what do we do with this inflammation? Um, to put it simply, identity before action. So before there's an action, we have to know this identity. Once we know our identity in God as these things that we've just explained, uh, we can start to see the fruit of it in our life. So the first thing is that we should praise God in all things, even when life is difficult. And the second being we should declare his praise to others. Um, and these, both these things come from a place of knowing God personally and growing in relationship with him as his chosen, pe- as his chosen people and his chosen children. We can't just say that God is good when life is good. That's just not how it works. We've been given the gift of life. There is nothing greater that we could ever receive. We should be thanking God at all times for the goodness that we have in him, declaring his praises above all things. Going back to the original verses, in writing that letter, Peter is imploring these early Christians, facing a persecution that, as I said, we have not experienced to still praise God in the midst of their suffering, remember that they now enjoy his wonderful light, his gift of salvation. They belong to someone far greater than anything this world can offer for them. They are the sons and daughters of the Most High King. They are chosen. They are holy. They are special. And that's also our truth tonight. Our identity is found in recognizing and remembering that we have been chosen by God, that he sent his son to shed his blood so that we may be in relationship with him. We can't forget, however, that in being chosen, God is entrusting us to do his work here on earth too. Practically, we need to act this out in our lives. In the passage tonight, it also says that once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's go out and show this mercy to our brothers and sisters. Uh, If our purpose is is to declare the praises of him, Let's show our appreciation not only where we have a band to lead us in worship, but in our everyday lives. Let's show appreciation. Beyond, let's go beyond the doors here into our everyday lives and show the love and truth we've been given. Thanking God for choosing us to go beyond, yeah. Uh, remembering it's not a burden having this responsibility, but it's a gift. 100%. Um, If we could have the worship team back on stage. Um, Yeah, if we can grasp this, not just with our heads, but with our hearts, um, knowing that our identity is in Christ, um, the natural flow on, as 1 Peter said, is that we will begin to praise. And we can praise him even when we are in the hardest parts of our life. So yeah, we're just going to close in prayer. So if you'd like to bow your heads. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you are our high priest, that you took upon yourself the punishment that we deserved. We thank you, God, that we are no longer separated, that we no longer have to go through so many things just to get a taste of you. But Holy Spirit, you are here in this room right now. 
that if we have given our life to you as your followers and your believers, that you dwell inside our hearts 24-7. And God, that's such a wonderful, beautiful thing. No other king would do that. No other king would lay down his life and leave his throne and become the most vulnerable, the most meek person. But you did. Thank you, God, that you have made us holy, setting us apart. Thank you that you know each one of us and that we are special to you. Lord, as we continue to rest in who we are in you and what our identity is, would you produce in us your fruit that we would come to you with thanksgiving and praise because we know, God, that no matter what we face, you are Alpha and Omega, your beginning and end. You are the Holy of Holies. You are our King and everything is in submission to you, Lord. So we praise you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for your sacrifice and your unconditional love that chases us down. We pray all these things in your precious name. Amen.